0: Welcome to the London First Baptist Church Podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of April 7th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, open them up to the book of Genesis. We're still in the book of Genesis this morning, this time Genesis chapter 45. Last week we uh, began taking a break from our normal studies of the book of Mark that we had been in for the last uh, year or so. And we are preparing for Easter here in just a couple of weeks. And we are going to be looking through the Old Testament. And we are looking for patterns in Scripture that point us to Christ, that point us to the cross and to the resurrection. If you remember, after Jesus' resurrection, He's on the road to Emmaus speaking with a couple of guys who don't recognize Him. And He takes them through... Uh, the law and the prophets and shows them how all these scriptures of what we call the Old Testament pointed to him and to what he was going to do. Talked last week about how it'd been fun to hear that conversation, to hear all the things that he was trying to say, to trying to teach them. And so that's what we kind of want to do. We're looking for patterns in truth in the Old Testament that point us to and, and give us light and indicate to us who the Messiah is in fact going to be. The early readers of the old of what we call the old testament, the early Christians, the first century believers as they scattered all throughout the ancient Roman empire knew that knowledge of the old testament and the scriptures and its truths were were important. In fact, it's said by one man by the name Alistair Roberts, he says this, the early readers of the gospels and the gentile communities of the Mediterranean world were for the most part, at least as ignorant of the Old Testament as are we today. And yet, the earliest Christian preaching through it I thought it crucial to emphasize and teach as a matter of first importance that Jesus' death and resurrection had happened according to the Scriptures. So we are looking this morning, as we began looking last week, for patterns and for indications of the Old Testament that would shed light on who the Messiah Was going to be. And this morning we're going to be looking in particular at portions of the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. We're going to see in his life that he was, in fact, one who was loved and selected and appointed for a task. That in his task, as God had set him aside for this job, that he was going to suffer and endure great pain and loss, he was going to be betrayed. And that he would, if you will, be raised to power. We're going to see all this this morning in the life of Joseph. Now, why are we doing this again? Uh, many of you have probably have been in uh, in situations where you were part of a large crowd, whether you're in a city or attending a game or a concert or you know, whatever it might be. You were in a situation with people that you knew who were in a large crowd, and sometimes you get separated, and sometimes you're trying to find someone. Well. I know I'm looking for someone. I know they're in the crowd somewhere. And how do you find them? Well, sometimes even if you're at a distance from somebody, even if they are, have their, their back to you, you can kind of recognize them. How, how do you do that? Because you learn to recognize how they carry themselves. You know how they walk. You recognize just those things that make them who they are. You see them even in the crowds. You can pick them out because you have come to know them. What we want to do as believers this morning is come to know our God so well that even in a crowd, or even in the midst of life's schedule, we can recognize the things that are of Him. Even from a distance, even in the clouds, even in all that's going on around us, we want to recognize Him. So this morning... As we read in Genesis, as we see the story of Joseph, I think we're going to see some things about who God is in the life of Joseph that will help us recognize God's work in the Messiah, Jesus. That's why we are here this morning. We want to know God, His mind, His actions, His purpose, His patterns. So if you will, I'm going to begin reading this morning. I'm going to give us the end of the story here. We're going to really move our way towards... And then we're going to go back and look at some other things first. I want to begin in Genesis chapter 45, and if you know the story, we're near the end. We are uh, Joseph is right now essentially the prime minister. He is the second in command of all of the nation of Egypt. The brothers have his brothers have come to him. The brothers who betrayed him, the brothers who persecuted him, the, pro, the, the brothers who accused him, and they have all these years later now find themselves in front of their brother. Begging for food. They don't know it's Joseph just yet. Joseph then makes himself known to them. And after he does that, they're afraid. And he says this, Genesis chapter 45, I want to read beginning in verse 3. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Man, there is so much in that one verse right there I want us to look at this morning that points us not only to what God did in Joseph, but that points us to what God did in Christ and God does even this morning. If we were to go back to the beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 37, and you can turn back there if you will. Genesis chapter 37, we have the beginning of this account of the life of Joseph. And you remember that Joseph was beloved by his father. Uh, his mother was Rachel. Jacob, uh, Joseph's father, loved Rachel dearly more than his, uh, her sister, his other wife, and all those who are around him. And as a result, he loved Joseph because she was, or he was Rachel's Firstborn. Now without getting into all the details of this, I want us to look at Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse six. And you remember that Joseph, as Jacob's beloved, also had a dream or two. Genesis 37, verse 6, verse 5. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Listen, please listen to this dream I have had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and also stood erect, and behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. If we were to keep on reading, we would find that Joseph had, of course, a second dream where the brothers were stars and the soon the sun and the moon representing his parents all bowed down to Joseph. In other words, Joseph as a teenager, by the way, I'm glad to see our teenagers sitting up here in front. That's cool. I'm encouraged by that. I dared them to, by the way. So it's <laughs> Joseph, when he's a teenager, he has a couple of dreams. And understand that Joseph is younger than almost all of his other brothers. And his, his, he tells his older brothers, and ultimately he tells his father, I've had a dream, and these dreams tell me that all of you are going to bow down to me. Now, you can imagine how the brothers would have handled that. And we're not worried about that this morning. What we're worried about is this. Joseph had a dream as a teenager that God had a plan, that he was going to one day be in a position to have everyone else around him bow down. Know what that tells us this morning? it tells us that the coming events of the next 13 chapters of the book of Genesis aren't by accident. They were all appointed by God. That the persecution by his brothers, their betrayal of Joseph, them throwing him into a pit, his being sold into slavery into Egypt, his all all those years in jail, the false accusations, the temptations, all those things, even the famine itself, all those things have been appointed by and set up by God before we actually get to them. We're just reading them as they happen, but God had already set these things in motion. And so for Joseph, what it means is that he was living a life and that he would live a life that was appointed, called out, and set apart by God for purpose. Now, Again, not for us to lose sight of this. We want to recognize this morning that everything that takes place in Joseph's life is a pattern that helps us recognize Christ. For the truth is, what Christ did as well was well appointed before the events themselves took place. In Acts chapter two, Peter is preaching, and he tells the people of Israel there in Acts chapter two as he's preaching to them that what is taking place is not It's it's something that God has set aside. So Acts chapter 2, you don't have to turn there. Peter says this, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over you, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. But God raised him up again. Now, did you catch that? Jesus, Peter says, all these things that you saw happen to Jesus, this, Naz, this man from Nazarene, they all happened by the predetermined plan of God. If we go to Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, we would find that that predetermined plan doesn't just predate Jesus' birth. It doesn't just predate, say, the, God, the, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. It doesn't even predate Joseph. It predates creation. Before God spoke and uttered a word and those stars pop into existence, before the world was made, God had predetermined that in His creation, Christ would come and die. From before the foundation of the world, the suffering of Jesus was already pre-planned. So when Jesus, who was also part of the creation process, the Bible says, when he was creating, he was creating knowing that that creation, part of the plan was for him to suffer and to die. And so in Joseph, we have, before any of the events happen, we have this dreams which tell us that the predetermined plan of God is that Joseph is going to be called for a purpose. Joseph had a role. Now, we know that his role will be said there. His role was to preserve life. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers. He was sent as a slave to Potiphar's house in, in Egypt. He went through all those years of suffering and difficulty so that God could do one thing through the life of Joseph, and that is preserve life. We celebrate at Christmas Christ Jesus' birth. And we perhaps think of that as the beginning of the story, but it's not. The truth is, God sent Christ to be born. He endured 30 some odd years of life here on earth. And in particular, he had three years of ministry with the disciples. He goes through all the suffering. He goes through all the rejection. He goes through all the false accusations. He eventually will go through a betrayal. He will go through great physical pain. And he does so because God sent him here to do what? To preserve life. We're going to see in Joseph the patterns of our Messiah. Joseph was appointed. He was set aside for this task. He was taken out and said, Joseph, this is now your job. And understand that Joseph's appointment, if you will, meant that he was appointed to suffer that he was appointed to endure pain. Well, what did that look like? Well, later on in chapter 37, around verse 23, we see what that some of that looks like. Let's look at that. Genesis chapter 37, verse 23. It came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the varied color tunic or the colored robe, the robe of many colors that we all know about. Verse 24, they took him and threw him into the pit. Now, the pit was empty and without any water in it. They sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. Some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph in to Egypt. Joseph in particular, like our Lord, was betrayed for money. He was sold to be a slave. He was thrown into a pit. And by the way, some of that Hebrew terminology around Jesus being throw, about Joseph being thrown into a pit it's the same word, it says, go down. He, he was thrown down into the pit. He goes down into Egypt. It's similar terminology for death when someone goes down into death. There is, in the story of Joseph, descriptive language in Hebrew, that maybe we don't always catch in English, that are words like, he went down. There's, there's almost this death idea. And you remember that Joseph's brothers trying to sell this death idea. We'll take that colored robe they will cover it in blood they will take it back to jacob and say look he's dead and so as far as jacob goes as far as joseph's father knows joseph is in fact dead this was part of god's plan for joseph it was part of god's plan for our lord if we were to go to isaiah chapter 53 we would see that we read part of that section last week We would see that it was God's plan from before the foundation of the world for Jesus Christ to suffer, to be pierced, to bleed, to be scourged, to go through great pain and to die. Joseph is not only appointed by God, he is betrayed by his brothers. And yet we see also that Joseph endures. And we're not going to go through all those next ten chapters, but perhaps you know the story. Joseph would be sold into slavery, and he will work for a man by the name of Potiphar. He will see some success there, but he is still a slave. And over the course of time, you may remember that Potiphar's wife fancies Joseph. She desires to have him. Joseph resists temptation, and for his righteous behavior in resisting temptation. By the way, our Lord also resisted temptation and was sinless. And in return for his righteous acts, Joseph is falsely accused and thrown into prison, where he'll spend the next years of his life. In prison, he will have some success helping the helping the head jailer, but again, he will undergo some suffering as he will help a couple of guys who are in jail. One of whom will go back and serve Pharaoh. And Joseph says, "When you get back to Pharaoh's court, would you speak to him on my behalf to help me out?" but it says that when the guy got back into Pharaoh's court, he, he forgot Joseph. And so Joseph will endure from the time he's a teenager till the time he's in his 30s. He will endure betrayal. He will endure suffering as a slave. He will endure temptation. He will endure false accusation. He will endure suffering, and he will perhaps most, for many of us, what might be most difficult, he will endure being forgotten. You know, it's, it's, we can go through a lot if we know somebody's working on our behalf to help. But when someone just forgets you, when you're so unimportant to someone that they even forget you're around, that's hard, isn't it? That's hopeless. Joseph was forgotten. So Joseph will endure all these things through the course of time in Egypt, separated from his family, much like like our, our Lord did. Now, let's get back to Genesis chapter 45, if you will. Genesis 45. Again, Joseph says to his brothers, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I want to read one other passage It's in the same book, Genesis chapter 50. After their father Jacob has died, the brothers are still a little bit nervous. And Joseph, in verse, uh, excuse me, in chapter 50, um, let me make sure I get the right verse here. Joseph says in verse 19, Do not be afraid. Am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Now I want us to go back again to chapter forty five, and I want us to see this bigger picture. Joseph, if if you remember the story, has put the brothers through the ringer, so to speak. He's he's given them some tests, he's kinda put them through some hard things and And they're scared. They're they're afraid for their lives. He's he's accused them of some things. He's trying to find out the character of the brothers and kind of where they have grown, if they have at all. And finally, after Joseph begins to see, in, in chapter 44, you will see the brother Judah, and Judah gives this impassioned plea of repentance. He says, listen, we're guilty of anything you can come up with. We're guilty we have no recourse but to ask for mercy. And Joseph, upon hearing this earlier part of chapter 45, it says that Joseph is overcome. I, go back and look at this here. Um, chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, is my father alive? Now, I want you to catch this. Joseph has been kind of restraining himself for, for several months now. But finally, he sees a repentant heart of his brothers. And Joseph is so overwhelmed with love and forgiveness, he can't control himself. It has been a family reunion and waiting for a long time. Now, again, remind, remind yourselves, the last time Joseph spent any time around his brothers, they were doing what? They were beating him up and throwing him into a pit and selling him as a slave. And yet Joseph is overwhelmed here at this reunion to the point that he can't, he, he can't control himself. He throws everyone out who's not of the family and tells the brothers, I am your brother. The Bible says he, he embraces them. He brings them close to himself. It's a group hug. <laughs> and he's slobbering and crying and snot's flying. All that stuff. I'm your brother. And Joseph is overwhelmed with love and forgiveness for his brothers. That's a, that's a pretty picture there, isn't it? Do you realize that there's going to be a day, as we look at this, there's going to be a day <laughs> when you and I see the one that we betrayed the one who was nailed to a cross because of what we did. He's going to look at you. He's going to open his arms, open wide, he's going to come here. He's going to embrace you. See what's going to happen here as we see what did happen with Joseph. He embraced his brothers. Now, why could he do this? Because he recognized a couple of things. He recognized, first and foremost, that while his brothers did something they intended for harm, that while his brothers did something evil, that in the end, his brothers weren't the one responsible for what happened. Who was? The God who appointed it to happen before they were even born. He recognizes that it was God who set all this stuff in motion and God put all this in plan in practice so that Joseph could be used to preserve life. Joseph sees the hand of God in what took place through the actions of his brothers. Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to get a picture of this, not just in the life of Joseph, but in the life of our Lord, even in our lives as well. Ephesians chapter 1. He, that is God the Father, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will to the praise of the glory of His grace which He freely bestowed on us, the Beloved. I want to go back to Isaiah again. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10 as we see what God is doing here. The Lord was pleased to crush Him. That is our Messiah. Putting Him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. God orchestrated all the events of Joseph beforehand. He orchestrates the events of Christ beforehand. Now, in case you're wondering, you mean God actually orchestrated all the events of Joseph's life so just so he could do all this? Yes, but more than that, you may remember, that Joseph is preserving life because there is a famine in that entire part of the world. God had given Pharaoh a dream. Joseph interprets the dream as to say, listen, you got seven good years of harvest followed by seven years of famine afterwards. You need to prepare now. And because of Joseph's plan, because God had given Pharaoh this dream, Joseph was able to to act in a way that preserved life. But I want you to know more than that. It wasn't just that God saw famine coming and said, I better make plans for that. Look, Look at Psalm 105. This is speaking about what God had done to the history of the people of Israel. And specifically, God is talking about here through this psalm about what he did in Joseph's life. And he, that is our God, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Did you catch that? God caused the famine so that when he sent joseph there joseph would be used to preserve life and joseph preserves life in the midst of the famine and who gets made known as a result of all that god does and god uses and orchestrates and sets aside all those events so that you and i as so of the people of the first century so the people of israel who were existing with jesus so that they would recognize the activity of god Look at the effort that God has gone to throughout history that we would recognize when he acts and when he does things so we will recognize when he has sent his Messiah. He set all this in motion. He caused the famine so that Joseph would be sent, so that Joseph would preserve life, and we would have a pattern of the character of God. By the way, God will stop at nearly nothing to make himself known to us. If God would set all these things in motion, do you think that God might do some drastic measures in your own life to bring you to a knowledge of Him? Do you think God might take you through suffering? Do you think that God might do some pretty incredible things in your life or even in the lives of those around you so that they would recognize who Christ is and so that they might be brought to salvation? One of the scariest prayers to pray is that, God, would you do whatever it takes? to bring someone to salvation. God, would you do whatever it takes to bring me to a greater knowledge of who you are, understanding that the answer to that prayer might be hard. And that's, that's putting it mildly. Throughout all of Scripture, we have encounter after encounter where God does incredibly difficult things, whatever it takes, to bring people to a saving knowledge of who He is or to illuminate or to make known his character, and his plans, so that we will recognize him. Last week, we saw this in Genesis chapter 22, as we saw Abraham almost to the point of sacrificing his son Isaac on the altar on Mount Moriah. The length that God will go to to make himself known, to expose us to, and that we can recognize the truth. Last week, we, last week we saw of God, that what He demands of us, He provides. He is our provider. But what we see this morning is this. Joseph forgives and God forgives. Joseph can forgive his brothers because one, he knows that what was done was set up by God. He sees a pattern here. And he recognizes that God orchestrated all these events so that people would be saved, people's lives would be rescued, and they would see that God is the one who rescues. And it was to save the lives, not of just the Egyptians or people around the world, it was to save the lives of even those who had directly betrayed Joseph. When Jesus was upon that cross, he was dying for me. He was dying for you. He was also dying for the very ones who had nailed the, the spikes in his, in his hands? He was dying for the very ones who had spit upon him and mocked him. He was dying for the very ones who had scourged his back to the point of almost not recognizing it was human flesh anymore. He was dying for the Pharisees who were at the foot of the cross mocking and making fun of him. He was, at, he was dying for the very ones who had betrayed him. He was dying for you and me. He was doing so. Yes, don't misunderstand me. Christ has a great love for us. Christ loves you. Jesus loves you as we sing the song. But understand that God the Son on that cross was dying for us even more than a love for you. He was doing it because it was His Father's plan. Because His Father put it into motion. Christ is on the cross because God said, this is my plan. And Jesus said, Your will be done. That's why Christ died upon the cross. So what's the pattern to be recognized here? That our salvation, even the resurrection that you and I look forward to one day, resurrection only happens after death. No death, there's no resurrection. No suffering, there's no salvation. Without Christ's suffering and death, We don't have salvation this morning without Joseph being sold as a slave and betrayed the people of that day are not rescued from the famine. Salvation often comes through the suffering of God's servants. As we look at the life of Joseph in particular, we also see that he is held up perhaps maybe more so than all others in the Old Testament as a man of righteousness. You would be hard-pressed to look at the story of Joseph and find a massive flaw. We've been, on the Sunday nights, we've been looking at the life of David as we've gone through First and 2 Samuel the last couple of years. And David is one of those heroes of the faith, isn't he? And yet, we look at David's life and we recognize, man, there is massive flaw and massive sin one after another. No one would hold up David as a, as, as a, as a model of perfection. And you pick out a a Bible hero. You pick out Noah. You pick out Abraham, David, all these guys. And there is in every instance a major account at some point in their lives where they just massively flubbed up. But not Joseph. Now, was he he a sinner? Yes, he was. But there's no massive flub up. Joseph is a man of righteousness. And in reality, our Lord Christ is a man of true righteousness. Sinless, righteousness. The one who suffered, the one who rescues, is righteous. Joseph, as this reunion shows, after being sold into slavery, going down into the pit, if you will, a symbolic death, is raised to power. It is used to rescue, and upon this. Reunion. Joseph, having seen the hand of God, says, you may well have intended it for evil, brothers. You you did, in fact, want to betray me. You were doing evil in your heart, but understand what you intended for evil, God used for his purposes. The disciples, when they find out who Joseph is, it says they were dismayed. I think it's one of those classic Bible understatements. Northern If you were one of the brothers, knowing what you did to Joseph, and now seeing that he's in charge of your life, what's your first concern? What are you worried about? Well, you're worried that what you did to him, he's fixing to do to you. You're worried that the man you betrayed is going to throw you into a pit and forget about you as well. it might be that we think about God and all his glory and all his majesty and like Isaiah or even like just brothers here, we might be terrified by the idea of meeting God and we probably should be. And yet, that God who could and would be justified in destroying us and snapping us out of existence is the very God who calls us to himself opens his arms and weeps over us in a loving embrace. Joseph overlooks the sin of his brothers and he can forgive them because of his great love for them and knowing that God has said all these things in, in motion. In this story of Joseph, we get a picture of the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ toward us. Though Joseph had been wronged, he could forgive because he had seeing the hand of God. Our Christ, our God, forgives us because He loves us and it's part of His plan. The joy of Genesis 45 doesn't happen if you're trying to manufacture emotion. You don't weep out loud at a reunion if you're just trying to look apart. Joseph's heart is genuinely thrilled and moved to be reunited with the brothers who had betrayed him. Because Joseph had recognized that God set all this emotion that Joseph would be used to save their lives. You and I come before a God who we have betrayed. A God whom we have turned our backs on. And yet that God in his perfect knowledge and plan from before the foundation of the world, set it up where that our sin would be powerless to defeat God's plans. The brothers, for all the evil they intended, could not defeat the plans of God. Your sin, no matter what it is, no matter how bad you think it is, the stuff you don't want anybody else to know, the sins that other people commit that you think of as so massively bad that nothing could ever be done, Those sins are not powerful enough to destroy the purposes of God. And he has looked at you this morning and he has said, see what I did there in Joseph's life? See the forgiveness I gave? See how I put those things together so they would know I love them? I did that so that you in 2019 would know that I have a heart to forgive. I put things in motion, including from before the foundation of the world, that I sent my son to die, and to suffer so that your life could be saved. I wanted you, God says to us, to recognize me. So the question I have for you this morning is this. Do you see him? Do you see Christ? Have you seen through Genesis 22 and Genesis 45 the patterns that you would recognize what God was doing through Jesus. Do you see Him? Not just as provider, but do you see Him now this morning as one who forgives and who loves?